0: Hey, sis, we back in these <laughs> academic streets with the Scholar Tea. This is Cameron Carl. And this is Shauna. And here we are back with the jump off, another episode of Scholar Tea. You know, Scala's gonna Scala with this episode. Let's uh, check in. Describe <laughs> our mood today as a real housewife city. So, Shauna, how are you feeling today?
1: well um i'm gonna go with potomac because uh i have just come off a series of meetings and had to be extra refined and polished and was repeatedly reminded that we were in a space so i could not talk about the things that i typically would talk about on a day-to-day but underneath it's all ratchet right so you scrub that sequence off um or you stare a little too hard at Giselle's neck. Like you realize there's a lot going on there that, you know. Them, is... them
0: ankles. ankles.
1: <laughs> as much as I can portend to be uh, a debutante at the end of the day, my refrigerator is white. So. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say to um, rat a top tat 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 okay? <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to go with Potomac.
0: Uh, well, on today, I am feeling like Beverly Hills. I just think they're the uh, the elite franchise, uh, the girls to watch, if you have not watched the last couple of seasons of Beverly Hills. I have
1: not. I've never watched it.
0: I, I, I think you would enjoy. I really do think you would enjoy. Garcel Bouvet really just wakes up the franchise. But today I'm feeling this way because I'm headed to a wedding and the wedding is formal. And I haven't been to a formal wedding in a long time with an open bar, and the girls just always gave opulence party vibes. So that's what I'm ready to walk into. That's the energy I'm bringing into the day with this long ass to do list. Uh, so I'm just ready to get the day started and, and ready to jump it off, formal style.
1: Mm, And congratulations in advance to the future Fords.
0: Mm. Yes. My dear, dear friend, collaborator, Dr. Jesse Ford and his future wife who will probably be his wife by the time this episode drops, Kirsten. So, so excited to celebrate love Mm. and celebrate Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So Shauna, in this episode, we are going to highlight our wonderful scholar of the week this week, who is Dr. Wilson O'Kello. We have some tea to share. The people was kind of following our social medias, but we want to recap our summer in Italy together. Uh, spend wonderful week together in Italy. So we want to share some of our vibe and w- some of our tea of what we experience. We have a episode with the crunk scholars, Dr. Natasha Kroom and Dr. Krista Porter, Black women out here doing the thing. Uh, and then we are going to get into what's problematic. Some of y'all are misusing gaslighting and we need to highlight that. And then Shana is going to drop us with them jokes. So should we get into it, Shana?
1: Let's. So, this week's scholar of the week is Dr. Wilson Okello, recently joining the Penn State College of Education as assistant professor of higher education in the Department of Education Policy Studies. Dr. Okello is co editor of Trauma Informed Practice and in Student Affairs, Multidimensional Considerations for Care, Healing, and Wellbeing, A New Directions for Student Services Volume and author of forthcoming texts with SUNY Press that explores the potential of centering Blackness in student development theory. Dr. Okello is committed to a work of consequence that ultimately affects the material lives of Black people. He fundamentally believes that theory directs pedagogy and practice, and thus he emphasizes a critique of student early adult development theory. Believing that critically approaching development will equip educators and practitioners with equity minded tools to construct curriculum, policy, and practice. Thank you in advance for all that you contribute to the field, Dr. Okello. And this week we honor
0: you. Wilson is a dope, dope human being, dope scholar, dope presence to be around. So shout out to Dr. Wilson Okello. So the tea this week is all about me and Shauna, and it's all about our summer 2022 excursion in the Italy street, Rome Renaissance, all up in Italy. So I got to teach this summer abroad in the Florida State University Studies Center in Florence, Italy. And Shauna was like, hey, I'm coming. So I said, sis, come. So she showed up, and we had a wonderful, wonderful time in Italy. So when Shauna got in, I was like, Shauna, what do you want to do? You know, it was very much an organic, let's kind of play it by ear type of formatting as far as the schedule. And Sean and I went up, we was like, we can't be in Italy and not go out to wine country. So we did a little excursion out into Tuscany. And Sean and I did some wine tasting, drank all, all the wine, all the wine. Sean, did you ever get your shipment of wine?
1: I never got a shipment of wine because it was 500 euro. <laughs> For six bottles, but I did bring a bottle of very expensive wine home. Yes. And I need to back up a little bit because yes, you said that very gracefully. I just showed up (laughs) like I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know. Listen, I didn't even know that until it was time to do it. I was leaving one airport and going to another airport to get <laughs> to get to Italy, let alone to leave Italy. Uh, but when I got there, Cameron looked at me and he's like, sis, what you doing? And I was like, oh no, let's look some things up. So, so it was organic because I really just showed up and we played it by ear and it was wonderful. I made a friend at that winery exchanged information. I told him if he ever made it to the U S he should let <laughs> us know. <laughs> but we we had a great time we um took a bus uh and saw the whole countryside right like we went to two or three different spots
0: yeah um, yeah it was it was a wonderful um experience through tri- i think i booked it through TripAdvisor. or maybe it was an airbnb mm-hmm. experience but i think i booked it through TripAdvisor. and you got to, to see three different tuscany wineries and a couple of them were actually family owned very local mm-hmm. for local wineries
1: we walked through a palace we saw a whole palace
0: Abandoned fort, yeah. It was beautiful,
1: and I mean the countryside itself. Like there were, there were farms. Of course, there were a lot of vineyards. But then we also saw like very opulent homes, and then very, um, country domestic looking spaces as well. And it was, it was, it was really interesting to see that juxtaposition. So I thought it was lovely. It was lovely, and it was only fifty dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> we drank we drank we drank our fifty dollars worth and more we, and more. So I like truffle and I like truffle oil, but we have some white truffle oil that just really sent it over the top for me. Like it just tasted rich. It was just riches in money, but it just tasted so good. I like, I have bought a bottle home because it was just that, that good. I have two bottles.
1: I used it the other day on some potatoes. So. Mm. Mm, that yes.
0: sounds good. That sounds good. So then Shauna was like, well, I want to see Venice. And Cameron had to work, of course. Uh, so I'm like, shiz, you should go do a solo trip. You could do a day trip to Venice, have a good time. And then we were planning to, for the weekend to go to Milan for Pride. Like, who gets to say they get to, you know, spend Pride at Milan? So we're like, let's go to Milan for Pride. Let's see what the parade is talking about. So Shauna, you went to Venice. How was Venice?
1: I did. I and- I made sure I just did first class everything. I picked the hotel that I wanted to pick. Um, The upside to traveling without children was I could do whatever I wanted. So um, I took this beautiful train ride to Venice and walked around a bit because I didn't understand how Venice was set up. So you really had to like, you, you have to be able to walk uh, all of the canals run through Venice. You have to take bridges often and they're step bridges. They're not really easy to access if you're in a wheelchair. So that's something to know, but everything was gorgeous. The people were beautiful and they treated me very well. I took a three hour boat ride. I saw all of the islands. Um, This guy tried to get me to hang out with him after and after he got off work and I was like, oh, no thanks, but I'll take that free wine you're giving me. Um, And then midway through my boat right I was like I want to see a concert and I was hoping there was a hip-hop artist in town but there wasn't however I, I don't really listen to classical music but I went to this classical arrangement by uh Italiano Virtuoso and they ended up being like this really big deal in Italy and it was in this huge church the acoustics were lovely I was in the third row they were looking at me almost the whole time and the music was beautiful um So, yeah, I I treated myself to a very nice dinner on the water. Um, The day went by so fast that I thought I was going to feel like an outsider that didn't know what the heck was going on. But yeah, I walked through the markets. I had a wonderful time by myself. It was lovely. And then, yeah, I met y'all in Milan.
0: We hit the Milan streets. For Pride, we thought it was a Pride Parade, but it felt more like a Pride March. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was a march.
1: It was a march for two hundred thousand people.
0: It, was, a it march. was. I don't know. It was. I don't want to say it was strange because it was probably very normal for them. But I'm thinking floats. I'm thinking people out here in g g-string. You know, y'all know what the Gay Pride gives, and that's not what it gave. It gave activism. It gave march. Some were marching in silence. Some had chants. But we was out there in them streets of people to people
1: we saw one person with a flag that we had not ever seen before. So, you know, me being the person I am, can you tell me what this flag is? And this person was like, well, it means that I'm gender nonconforming. And then went and started to talk to me about what it meant to be gender nonconforming as if I didn't understand it. So they were like really irritated that they had to explain to me what gender nonconforming was. And I was like, I, I get that part. I just didn't know what the flag meant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: They I'm said sorry. you're asking questions. So we're going to school you today, sis. Okay.
1: Yes, I was couple. And everybody just looked at me like, you got told. And I was like, I, I guess I did. But <laughs> nobody at the table knew what the flag was. We learned yeah. a lot.
0: We did. We did. We did. <laughs> so we go back to Florence. And I'm staying in a real in an old family. Um, it's Is it a flat? A palace? What's it? But you,
1: you got to tell. I mean, when we were in Milan, though, remember the apartment we stayed in?
0: Oh, <laughs> so our friend, our friend D'Antre uh, was also there. Uh, Shauna and Deatre overlapped a little bit and we booked this Airbnb in Milan. And each city gives you a different vibe. Like Florence mm-hmm. gives you a vibe. Milan gives you a vibe. Venice gives you a vibe. So Milan is very chic. It's fashion. It's architecture. And we booked this beautiful, wonderful apartment and it looked really nice online and we got there and it looked really nice in person. And we saw all these like magazines and I was like, what is this about? And we looked through the magazine and I'm like, okay, we think the owner is like the editor of this really extravagant, it looked very extravagant magazine. And we found to find out that we're staying in the editor of the magazine's furnished wonderful apartment in Milan. And it's just, it's like, yes. it just, it gave very rich bitch flavor. Just- very
1: rich. <laughs> it was, I didn't want to touch anything. I was like, wait, where are we?
0: Yeah, are there cameras? You, can, you can tell they have no children, it, you know, It's wonderful. So we get back to Florence and I have to teach again. So Shauna's like, well, I need to do laundry. You know, I can just chill here, try to figure out what I'm doing the rest of the week. So I come home for a lunch break and Shauna was like, girl, the police was here. I was like, (laughs) I said, what's tea?
1: So I walked up in. Okay, this is the interesting part. When I first walked up to the apartment, there was someone just kind of standing outside the door. Lo and behold, it ended up being the other owner of the space, but I didn't know who it was. So I wasn't going to like open the door and let them in. So I stood and waited until they could get in. It took a while. So after the door closed, then I went up and unlocked it and then... Right. When I was getting to the elevator, they looked down, they were like, did you close the door behind you? And I was like, yeah, I always do. You know, no piggybacking Penn State. You know, I learned my lessons in res life Um, and they were like, "Okay, well, you know, someone just broke in and I was like, what? And I had seen it leaving the building. There was a door that was open. There was a missing doorknob. I just thought, oh, they're doing construction work. Oh, it takes them a while to uh, replace doorknobs around here. But I had understood that construction in other countries, it's a little different. So I didn't think anything of it. It turned out two women had broken into that apartment, probably while I was walking by it, (laughs) and stole some paper And they were like, you can't let anybody in. You know, some random people just broke in. They said two girls. That's what the the language they use was two girls broke in. And yeah, I might have been walking by in the moment when they had broken in.
0: He's a witness to a burglary, honey.
1: (laughs) What's going on? Well, and also, you know, uh, we would do things together. And then, you know, I would take advantage of alone time, too. So when you were teaching, I would go to museums. I saw the David. Up close and personal, as well as the wall, uh it's the hallway of prisoners. Uh, and I didn't realize how big the David was. I thought I was gonna go and it was gonna be, you know, nine feet, ten feet tall. This thing is like ginormous and perfect. And the fact that it was perfectly preserved for hundreds of years, I spent a lot of time just imagining not just technique, but all of the craftsmanship that had to go into the pieces that Michelangelo made because they're still standing the test of time. I also got to see this exhibit for the first time ever. Um, His lover cast his face after he passed away and he made these cast of Michelangelo. Um, And for the first time ever, they were all together. There were these bronze busts. And the very first thing you see when you walk in the door is a picture that says, don't take any pictures. And I was like, take pictures. What? Of course I took pictures. (laughs) (laughs) I was taking pictures because I was like, wait, this is the first time ever. And I'll never see it again. And I'm seeing it in Italy. Hell yeah, I'm taking pictures. I took pictures and it was beautiful. I would take advantage of my alone time. And then we had a lot of good time together too.
0: Yeah. I, I, pl- I try to play by the rules. So, you know, I didn't take any, any pictures. The, the one I really wanted to take a picture in that I didn't was the Sistine's chapel. It was just, it was just beyond like, you have the amount of discipline and the amount of patience that you have to have. And then reminded me of like this immediate gratification and the culture in which we in, we're in and like who takes decades to do something that artistic that's going to last, you know, forever Um, And that just really made me think about my own discipline and own the go, go, go. And and when we sit down and be patient, we have a vision, knowing that that vision might not be executed tomorrow, next week, or even next month. And I was just like really reflective in that space.
1: Mm, Kind of reminds me of Scholar T.
0: Okay. (laughs) um <laughs> uh, just really last to recap the food the experiences the wine i miss july gel- had, y'all had gelato every night uh just like one or two scoop i had porsche control but i like I, each night when i was walking back to my apartment I, the gelato was i just really miss miss the gelato sean and i made Noki. Um, and we went to this woman's apartment and she created this whole experience for us with our grandmother's recipe and had us had us rolling out the roll out the potato gnocchi
1: <laughs> and it turned out that she's a very esteemed artist and her boyfriend is a big deal music producer and uh, they invited us to go to Naples the next time we're in in the country
0: yeah and i actually think i'm going to when i go back next summer i think i'm going to have her Cheap, uh I guess lecture in my class and use the mm-hmm. Noki cooking as like a leadership lesson so mm-hmm. I'm like really yeah Anna we, we enjoy Anna hey Anna shout out to Anna
2: hey but
1: well yes at the end of the, the day it was just a, a a time well spent uh with a very dear friend it was time that I needed time that I loved anytime I'm with you Cameron
0: I know it, we don't, and we don't get that time often. So it was just a really a privilege. It was really easy. It was just really um time to, you know, restore not only self, but also restore friendship and love. So I love mm-hmm. you, sis. Love you too. Love being in them Italy streets. Just-
1: Everybody. So we're here today with doctors Natasha Kroom and Krista Porter. We're very excited to be here. And we always say we're really excited, but we actually mean this shit. So like we're really excited that we're in this space today and grateful for you to be able to take time out. You're two very busy individuals um, to meet at the same time. So thank you for that. Um, we're wondering, first of all, um, how are you doing? And also, uh, as black women, what brought you to the Academy and what keeps you here?
2: I'll jump in. Uh, Thank you all for having us. I'm doing okay. Uh, Juggling, uh, just took on this new role, right? Just got tenure. Um, And so jump right into academic administration, right? Shout out to the peer mentor, Natasha Kroon, who I was like, listen, I need you to walk me through this because you jumped in first. So I need to know what's going on. So what brought me to the academy is, you know, typically like a lot of folks jump into student affairs. Oh, I want to be a DTA student, I want to be a VP. Uh, and then I was like, no, like there's this thing called research that I really appreciate. Uh, and we can have a platform doing this type of stuff. Right. So that's what brought me. And that's what sort of kept me. I think there are a lot of times where we could have stepped into a student affairs sort of role post Ph.D. or post master's and stayed there. Uh, but I didn't. Um, And so started off as a clinical non-tenure track faculty, loved uh, the fact that I could not have the burden of publishing. I was able to have a baby and do my thing, right? And enjoy that time. And then I was like, hold up, I am publishing (laughs) and I'm not being evaluated. Uh, And so let me see what tenure track looks like. And so jumped into a tenure track role. So what has kept me to answer the last part of that question Is peer folk. Uh, I have a crew. I have a village personally, sort of closer to me. And then you got your extended people, right? That I know I may not talk to every week, but if I drop something happen in the world and I could shoot a text, I know they'll respond, right? So it's that type of village. And also the platform, right? So folks get PhDs for different reasons. uh, But for me, it's the platform to be able to really serve and uh, keep highlighting Black women's voices. Um, And so that's what what keeps me here. I know that there's power in what we do, and there's power in the platform.
3: Yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying, Krista, because I feel similarly in that, you know, what brought me to the academy, I would describe as intellectual curiosity at a relatively young age. Mm -hmm. Um, And as an undergraduate student, I was a McNair scholar, which as a first-generation college student at a um, Hispanic-serving institution, it, you know, that program really demonstrated and showed me and gave me the opportunities, like Krista was talking about, to really engage in research as an undergraduate student. Before, you know, undergraduate research programs were hot in the streets. There was the McNair Scholars Program um, for first-generation college students, and so knowing that the the ultimate goal of, the, of that program was to get a terminal degree. you know I knew really early on that that was the goal to get a terminal degree. And you know coming from a military household where my mom was in the military, so leadership was always a thing in our household. it wasn't hard a uh, leap or jump in undergrad to go in and take over everything. And so becoming student body president, president of my sorority chapter, listen, all the clubs, I was in the billiards club, president of the chess club, any club you can name, I was doing that. And so eventually someone in student affairs was like, so have you thought about this? Which is what sort of led me to the higher education student affairs academic track, Um, and my mentor for McNair was the vice president for student affairs who also had a faculty appointment. Um, and so, you know, it just kind of really came together for me in terms of steps being ordered almost. Mm. Um, and, you know, I ended up at Iowa State University for my doctoral work. And I really do mean ended up because one wasn't thing about Iowa. I was living in D.C working at the University of Maryland. I wanted to do my doctoral <laughs> work there. And the universe was like, no, girl, you're going to go over to these cornfields and uh, meet people like Laura Rendon and Lori Patton Davis and Nana Osakofi kofi and Frankie Santis-Lana. you That's where you're going to go. And so quite honestly, if it wasn't for Lori Patton Davis, and I'm really about to tell y'all what she said to me, I was defending my dissertation and I was, you know, very hesitant about the idea of being in the classroom, of being a faculty member, despite being 100% being prepared for that role. And I said to Lori, I can still see, remember this day very clearly, I'm in her office. I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply for these postdocs. And I think I'm gonna apply for some administrative positions. And I'm just, I need, you know, I'm just getting your okay, that you're willing to write letters of recommendation. And Lori Patton Davis, I'm sorry, big sister Dean Lori Patton Davis looked me in my eyes and said, I am not writing any letters of recommendation for you that are not faculty jobs. Okay. And after after that bluntness came the sweetness. So those who know Dr. Patton Davis, (laughs) she's she's a Sour Patch kid. You get the sweet (laughs) and you get the, you know, um, and so she said, "You know, this is imposter syndrome. Like, you're prepared to do this, girl. You done not taught every master's class in this program. If you don't go get yourself a faculty job, we're gonna have a problem." Um, and so that's that's really, I think, how I ultimately ended up in the academy. And what keeps me in the, the academy is, you know, there are black women, black men, black queer and trans folks, women of color networks my people, peer mentors, mentors, and quite honestly, the pressure of lineage. um, The pressure of lineage also keeps me here thinking how we continue, how we continue this work of centering Black women's voices and uplifting the communities that are important to us and and keeping that going, right? Um, And I don't know that, we often talk about lineage for Black academics in that way out loud. Uh, You know, there is some research about lineage and academic programs and stuff that's out there, but really about, again, improving our experiences and our outcomes and changing and transforming this structure. And it's not actually about just reproducing what someone else was doing before, but on building and expanding that, at least
0: that's what it's like for me. Speaking of lineage, I feel like I need to name that I am from the the house of Croom, right? Uh, One of the first uh, advisees to the finish line of your, my fraternal sister, Dr. Ramirez Stapleton, you know, us, uh, your fraternal twins um, in this lineage. So shout out to Dr. Kroom who was a anchor for many of us at Iowa State when people were chucking the deuces and the turnover was real large. Cameron uh, but, Beatty, first of hey. your name. <laughs> <laughs> from, from the lineage, as, as Dr. Kroom is highlighting here. So in what ways do you both hope that your research actually impacts practice and pedagogy? I know we talk about it, but in what ways do you hope it actually impacts the practice, impacts the pedagogy, that's happening in higher education?
2: Uh, For me, I hope that it provides language. It provides, it illuminates experiences of Black women uh, and makes them visible, um, particularly my work around Black women, but also work around student development theory and sort of how we critique student development theory, push it forward, uh, how we talk about praxis um, and sort of our ways of knowing and being. So pushing against sort of the dominant narratives of success pushing against what folks know um, as graduate student socialization and undergrad socialization and faculty socialization, right? Most oftentimes we know that those concepts are grounded in whiteness. And so for us to be able to do work that has impact and can influence practice and and encounters, right? The dominant uh, sort of understanding and often problematic understandings of these big bodies or big concepts in love literature and what we deem as valuable and normal in the academy?
3: Yeah, I think for me, it is very much, you know, what Dr. Porter is pointing to, although as I'm currently wrapping up a concluding chapter for her of of her latest edited book on Black women, (laughs) um, you know, I look to Dr. Porter as our she's our theorist, right, like, she oh, wow. literally theorizing where we have the, you know, the Mary's and the Lorries and outside of our field, the Patricia Hill Collins, and the Audrey Lords and the Bell Hooks, and I kind of sometimes think that Dr. Porter doesn't understand that Dr. Porter is a theorist, her work is up there with those folks, like, in, 10, 15, 20 years, the theories and frameworks and models that she's crafting, I think will have a very similar impact to how we talk about black a black feminist thought or intersectionality.
2: Like that, you know. I don't look know. now. Don't like, get don't get me to crying on this podcast. <laughs> look now, I appreciate the flowers, but don't get look them now.
0: All the flowers. All right. the flowers.
3: Well, I think that, you know, sometimes. It's hard to see ourselves as that. You're absolutely right. You know, I don't see myself as that.
0: And we've been conditioned not to see ourselves as that as well. Right.
3: And so with my own impact, if that's what we want to call it, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what what's important to me and the work that I do is the teaching not necessarily through the articles and manuscripts type road you know being in the classroom with folks and being able to introduce them to the work of a Dr. Porter or a work of a Dr. Tevis or the work of Dr. Beatty and so on and so forth and actually being able to you know they're like oh you plant the seed and you don't see the shade but I don't really believe that we're not we are we are in academic programs where we can actually directly see the impact because our students go out here and they're working right there you know a perfect example so i've been teaching a critical race theory and education course for a long time now and you know there was a white woman who in the class at at one point who works for development and you know, her specific role is around getting old white people to give up their money when they die to Clemson. That's how I would describe it, basically. That's what she does. Uh, she's very good at it. After taking the class, she had an epiphany. So there was a program going on where if you gave a large amount of money, you were invited to an event where you could dress up in historical times of the founding of the institution and you could come and sign your financial commitment in the old big house because you know that still stands on campus and you could get a signed copy of the will and after taking my class so one semester of a class she was like that seems pretty racist and now we don't do that anymore right so for me, I think the impact is the what's happening in the learning and like pushing people to know, to figure out that we can actually do things differently that in creating with students and even in a role like an associate dean position where, you know, people think you transition to academic administration and the teaching is over and uh, they have since found out <laughs> That that ain't going down. (laughs) That's not going to be it. Um, Right. But like, it's that introducing people to things, ways of imagining that maybe they didn't have before, but that allows them to do something different in in real time. (laughs) Not 20 years from now, but in real time. And I have had those students who 10 years later, they're emailing like, yeah, I didn't really like you at first, Dr. Kroon, but now I'm doing X, Y, Z. And I remember you said this, and that was true. I was like, yeah, I know. It's fine. You're welcome.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, thinking about encouraging people's growth and development and learning, um, for you, how is the work of academic administrators different from the work of faculty, if at all?
2: So the other day, I was in the room with four VPs, variations of VPs, right? Whatever we call them, all white men and me, crafting policy of how we're going to figure out funding and scholarships and graduate education. Obviously, everything I do is through an equity lens, right? Um, and so I was able to offer voice differently. Um, I didn't have to, you know, shake the table because I'm invited to the table. I'm there, right? I'm, um, so the work there is I am actually directing policy. I'm actually, I'm in another committee where we're actually creating and revising policy, right? Uh, it'll go up maybe a level to the policy committee and it'll be turned into policy. And so it is that quicker, relatively, um, impact on how we do what we do in the university, specifically in graduate education. As a faculty member, I absolutely agree with what Dr. krum said, right? It's seeing the students take what you uh, teach them and how they have a community of scholars. They're learning, they're reading things that they would have never have read if it wasn't for you being in front of their classroom, talking about theory to practice. Um, so it's different but it's still impact, you're still impacting policy and practice. It's just, I think the turnaround can be a little different uh, and quicker in some sense, because I'm actually literally typing out policy right now.
3: I I co-sign everything that Krista just said, and maybe I'll answer this in a little bit different way. So I 10,000% miss my autonomy as a faculty member. Um, I A million times miss being able to direct my time, like being in control of my time. You know, as a person who wants to advance to full professor, right now I technically have two jobs, two full-time jobs, one of only which I'm getting paid for, which is my administrative job. And so it's a little bit challenging to try to navigate all space. And so, you know, I agree, like being in an academic administrative position. And I want to add the caveat that I think sometimes gets missed with higher ed and student affairs folks transitioning to these types of positions is that a lot of the people around me don't actually know how universities work while, you know, and they will say things like, you'll, you'll come in and you'll say, you know, I am a higher ed student affairs professor. And they're like, yeah, me too. No, you're a chemistry professor dog. Like. Who happens to be an associate dean? Like, what are you talking about right now? These are not the same. Like, I can probably talk about the institution and how some things work in a different way than you can. And that doesn't negate your experiential knowledge because you've been here 32 and a half years, but it's it's a different perspective on this. Place that we find ourselves working in, understanding how things go together in important ways, Uh, and so even like the teaching doesn't ever end, you know. So for an example, everything blew up with COVID in terms of the ongoing racial misogynistic uh, violence happening, Um, and so like every other university, Clemson decided to create a task force where they invited nearly half the university to serve on these subcommittees. Somehow I got put on the financial aid subcommittee, which, you know, I kind of think that was on purpose because they thought I could do less damage on the financial aid committee. But what they didn't realize is that A a scholar gone scholar. In that space, I was like, what are we actually talking about? Who are we actually talking about? I haven't created a whole packet of information for these people because I'm like, I'm not going to have this conversation with you if we're not in the same book on the same page. And these you know, were people from all across the university, vice presidents, associate provosts, a lot of different levels. And what happened was, the chair of our financial aid subcommittee was like, "I ain't never heard of this before. This is very useful." And then she forwarded it to. Every other subcommittee, like, I don't know what y'all are talking about in y'all group, but here's a great resource and tool to help you all get on the same page and be clear about what you're talking about. And right. So being able to, like you said, be in those spaces where the impact is exponential more quickly, potentially.
1: You actually just gave me an idea for another game we could play on this show and it's going to be true or false. And it's going to be some quotes, and we're going to determine whether or not someone really said it in a meeting or not, because the bullshit <laughs> yes. that be coming out of these meetings. <laughs>
3: right.
0: A scholar gone scholar, though. What advice uh, is our last question do you all have for not junior, as Dr. Michelle Espino-Lira always corrects me. She's like, you are not a junior. You are an emerging uh, Scholar, what advice do you have for emerging Black women, faculty, and staff trying to navigate these academic streets? What advice do you offer? Could be more than one thing.
2: Yeah, I have a couple, right? And so I think uh, I originally wrote down, uh, be okay with being the only, but I scratched it out because I don't want you to be okay with being the only, but I want you to be cognizant that you may be the only in the room, in a lot of rooms, so what does that mean for you, right? Some folks don't want to be the only, they don't want to be one of few. Uh, what does that mean for you and determine that from jump? Cause we are telling you that's how it's gonna be maybe, right? Depending upon where you are. Um, me and Dr. Kroom have shared this throughout the, this this time is you got to have your crew, right? Who, who are your people? Who are your sounding board? Who is your accountability group? Who is your know people? Um, you know, I call it my life group, right? Who are those folks um, who you can talk to and um, share with, right, in a trusting and, and space, but they're also gonna push you to um, learn who you are. And I say that, that it comes with time because you don't get to these spaces. They're not for the faint at heart. I don't know how else to say it, right? Um, because there's gonna be conversations where folks say some of the stuff that we hear, right? Um, And so what does that mean for you? And who are you in these spaces? Uh, We talk about congruence, right? And alignment. Who do you say you are on social media? But who are you in these spaces with these white folks who are making decisions about folks of color and their funding and whether or not they get admitted to these programs? And so what's the alignment? What do you say in your research, but yet you don't say in the meeting? And then the last one I'll share is there's this conversation about Black joy, right? Happening a lot in higher ed. And so how do we maintain that? How do we get that? What is that for you? And what does it look like when the world continues to push against you, right? The Dr. Chrome continued to talk about the racial sort of stuff that continues to happen. And so how do you, what's that inside of you that keeps you going? That's not going you know, to tear you down.
3: So I've been in a space, I don't even know how to describe it as of late, but, and you, you're you going to get a little preview to this chapter. It's coming, I promise, you won't have it. Oh, I,
2: I, I don't doubt it. It might be probably. That's why we asked you, because we know you was going to come with it
3: might be friday but you go get it. I've been in this space where like the word freedom has been like like just rolling around in my head. And so in this chapter I'm talking a lot about like how we get free. How black women get free in this space and whether it's like freedom from epistemic violence, freedom from controlling images and majoritarian narratives, freedom from intersectional systemic oppression the freedom to create ourselves, the freedom to love and be respected and the freedom to fight. Like what, like the freedom, what is it? What does it look like? How do we get there? And so, you know, I think my advice to really anybody is to get free. Like we don't have to adhere to the controlling images and we don't have to settle. We don't have to play the game of tokenization or there can be only one, as I think is what Dr. Porter is alluding to, that we can build the community that we want and that we need. And, you know, your question about who are you in these spaces with white folks, a part of me is also like, who are you in the spaces with Black folks and other Black women, right? Like, I've been in a space probably the last 10 years of really seeking to understand the root of those who be acting stank because they the only ones. And like, sometimes I think when you're the only one for so long, the threat of there being another smart black girl becomes overwhelming. People isolate themselves. And I just think they don't know how to get out of it. I think they want to, but they don't know how to. And that's me being real generous, I think, with my thinking, because I I understand that there's a root there that I don't actually think, think comes from our ancestors. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a root there that the system is maintaining, that doesn't allow us to be vulnerable, that doesn't allow us to be authentic, that doesn't allow us to celebrate aspirations and victory uh, together and in community. I've also been on a kick of we can't do this alone. So while we, it's important to build communities amongst Black women, it has always been important to me to build community with other communities of color, with other women of color, to understand the historical struggles and connections between our communities, right? So again, I can understand where the saying comes from. There's great power in, in that. Um, in building those communities across difference and um you know i again a little preview i'm ending our chapter with the the poem from for colored girls right like like just sing the song of her possibilities sing a righteous gospel let her be born and handled warmly like that's that's what that's what we that's what i think yes
0: Amen. Well, thank you both for sharing your brilliance. I know both of you well, and I appreciate you sharing always with me whenever I see you, your your true authentic selves and pouring into me. So I'm always grateful to to both of you and what and what you have done for me and holding on to the academy because I be seeing them, I, my friends out in these streets, you know, making them dollars, but yet yet we still holding on. So so thank you both. For, for for your mentorship. All right. So Shana, should we get into our lightning round? Absolutely. Give the people the rules.
1: Okay. So now this is a dichotomy. There's no gray. There's no in between. You have to pick. I know that's against some of the things that we educate people on. No, no.
2: You know me and Kroom are not <laughs> I look. know.
1: I know. You gotta you gotta pick one. You gotta pick one as quickly as possible. The first thing that comes to your mind word association game. You ready?
0: Vacation or staycation?
1: Vacation. Vacation. Bell hooks or Audrey lord
3: That's disrespectful, Audrey Lorde. I'm gonna do bell hooks. <laughs> the do- would do bell hooks, wouldn't she?
0: <laughs> we doing Ash or we doing A-E-R-A? Ash,
2: Ash.
3: all day. Every day. That's why it's on Sunday.
1: Right. Administration or faculty? Mm-hmm. Wait, that's disrespectful.
3: I'm gonna say administration parenthetical notation that
2: $60,000 raise let them know I'm gonna say administration too
0: okay I know my past uh loose <laughs> loose sleep or skip a meal
2: skip a meal skip a meal oh,
0: I eat uh <laughs>
3: listen you don't want them no sleep problems
1: <laughs> that's true that's true finally Beyonce or Rihanna
3: Beyonce cough it <laughs> I mean, I love me some Rihanna. I do too. She, I do too. But... Yeah, I'm try- still trying to figure out how she about to what what song you gonna perform, girl? Work at the Super at the- at the Bowl? What song we we coming up? Riri
0: R- R- to- has a catalog. She do she do got a catalog. She got
3: a few things. It, it ended in 2013.
0: And I'm going to be right there with them 2013 <laughs> beats. Okay.
3: <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's so funny you say that because actually, when I think about it, I probably listen to a whole Rihanna album more than I listen to a whole Beyonce album at mm. any given time. Mm. That Desperado song, I love that song.
1: I do like that, that song. Album. I'm not even going to do it. I don't have the vocals today, but you (laughs) need it. You needed me. Yeah. Oh, you needed me. Well, thank you again for taking time out of your very hectic schedules to meet with us, to share uh, your perspectives with our listeners and to just take up space in a very genuine, authentic way. We really, really do um, appreciate you. And we're grateful for your time.
2: Okay. Y'all not leaving without us giving y'all y'all flowers. Great. Right. Look now, y'all, scholars, right. heat done doing some things. Listen, right. I appreciate both of y'all. I can speak for, Chrome. we appreciate y'all even for inviting us, one. But for two, for y'all doing y'all thing out here, listen, right. we appreciate all the commentary, the laughs, uh, y'all spin on all of the things. So definitely we, we, we appreciate y'all even having the space for us.
3: Yeah, yes. thank you.
1: Well, I hope y'all uh, appreciate the jokes of the week that are associated with Scala's gonna Scala. Absolutely. I appreciate you both, Dr. Porter and Dr. Croom. Um, it's really an interesting experience to be a Black woman in the Academy. I love that I can always join in partnership and sisterhood and collegiality with both of you. Um, You're a really strong source of support and knowledge. And so thank you for spending some time with us and for um, really gifting the Academy with your thoughtfulness and experience.
0: Absolutely. And I honestly would not be here without the Nat- Natasha Kroon and her guiding me through my dissertation, her pouring into me. Dr. Porter was finishing her doctorate when I was kind of starting. And I will, I just, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it publicly, and I'm going to say it loud on this little podcast. The way that Black women poured into me in intentional ways that Black men didn't is something that I will never forget for the longevity of, of my career. So I'm just going to say mm-hmm. that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Mm
0: hmm.
1: So let's move on to what's problematic
0: so for me this week shauna what's problematic is the misuse of the word gaslighting people are just throwing around the word gaslighting everybody from politicians to housewives to even higher education professionals on social media stop it for those of you that don't know gaslighting is not a general disagreement where someone tells another person they are wrong about something It is also not the right word to describe the behavior of someone stating their opinion as fact. Gaslighting, by definition, is to psychologically manipulate people into making them question their own sanity. When someone is gaslighting another, they are abusing the other person. It's actually weaponizing the manipulation and causing psychological abuse. That's just full stop what it is. Gaslighting is abusive behavior that invites targets of the abuse to question their perceptions of reality and to make themselves the problem. So Shana, have you experienced gaslighting in these academic streets? I, I have. Yeah.
1: Once. And um, I kind of allude to it in a few other episodes Um, where, yeah, when I was in Massachusetts, I really did feel like the things I was encountering, it had me literally wondering if I knew what I was doing, Mm -hmm. if the behaviors I was observing were actually happening. um, And I felt like I was the problem. I know I could have done some things a bit different. Like we, we all could learn to change our approach in certain circumstances, but the overall experience did have me feeling like I was, I was not seeing things the way that they actually were laying themselves out in front of me. And so, um, the whole experience was a major challenge. It did teach me a lot about, um, setting my own boundaries, uh, psychologically. Uh, but that one time I, I did, I did yeah. experience it.
0: yeah. Um, and people do it. I think people do it a lot in higher education because that's mm. a learned behavior that was done to them. People, mm. and it happens in families. It happens in relationships. It happens with mm-hmm. parent dynamics. Um, but I want people to say because because I don't agree with your politics or I don't agree with what you're saying, that is not gaslighting. Gaslighting is an mm. intentional manipulative behavior. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's mm-hmm. what's problematic in these in these academic streets. Stop it. <laughs>
1: Well, let's go ahead and lighten the mood, shall we? We shall. I apologize in advance. These ones are extra cheesy. You ready?
0: <laughs> give them to me, give them to me, give them to me.
1: What did the mushroom say to impress his date? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm a fun guy. Fun guy. Ah, fun guy. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. What advice did Biggie Smalls give to the
0: cow? Biggie to the cow? Moo?
1: Moo money, moo problems.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: what are Super Mario's pants made of?
0: I don't know, mushrooms.
1: Denim, denim, denim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on, delivery! I see, I, heard, I saw your delivery there. And what does Diddy say when he's baking pies? Diddy baking pies. I don't know. Bake
1: that, bake
3: that. <laughs>
0: It's not even a joke, it's it's you doing the the cadence, the interpretation.
1: (laughs) The shoulders. (laughs) Well, we'd like to recognize Nicole L. McDonald and her recent appointment to Senior Vice President of Transformation Initiatives at Johnson C. Smith University. Also, congratulations to Virginia State University President Makola Abdullah for being named one of the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities recipients of the 2022 Richmond Humanitarian Awards. And today I've decided to recite an excerpt from We Gonna Be All Right by Jeff Chang. The horizon toward which we move always recedes before us. The revolution is never complete. What we see now as solid and eternal may be disintegrating inward from our blind spots. All that signifies progress may, in time, be turned against us. But redemption is out there for us if we are always in the process of finding love and grace. We encourage you to devote this week towards finding love and grace in those around you, particularly individuals or groups who you would have otherwise deemed unworthy of your love. We extend our love and grace to you.
0: And that's it for Scholar Tea this week. Go out and show some love and grace, good people. We'll catch you next time in these academic streets. Peace.